This is a test of the Boundary Park Alert System. Okay, so I would like to welcome to this episode of the Boundary Park Alert System uh, from Swindon Towns Trust, James Spencer. Welcome to the Boundary Park Alert System, James. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. And for our, for our listeners, James uh, is a board director of Swindon Towns Trust. And we were just talking before we came on air, your role in your trust is primarily around media communications, website and the like. So Correct. Much. Yeah, exactly. I, I look after the website, get involved in kind of organising the AGM um, pretty much every year. And uh, yeah, literally over the last seven or eight months, uh, <laughs> I've probably done 60-70% of, of the media work in terms of, you know, the, the, the local news for ITV and BBC One, um, some podcasts like this. We've got a, as well as the trust being involved at the club, we've also got an official sports club, which is very, very active. So they do a regular panel um, during the season which is every Monday night Zoom meeting where they uh, where they invite kind of fans to come on and ask questions. They get ex-players, you know, and people from the trust and various other people. And we we debate various things. So I, I've, I've done a lot of those really, trying to answer the questions of the fans and trying to lay their fears and what have you during the last kind of seven or eight months. So yeah, lots of media work and website and AGM. Those are the key things really for me. Could you explain the difference between, for you, your trust and your supporters club? Yeah, What's the difference course. between the two? So the official supporters club have been effectively uh, aligned to the club probably, oh God, tens and tens of years. I mean, I don't know the, um, the the exact number of years, but certainly, you know, they've been around for an awful lot, an awful long time. They are the official supporters club. So they are the ones that um, effectively work very closely with the club on fundraising initiatives, um, events, etc. But they are more focused on on the pitch. So they'll sponsor players. You know, they're more interested. They do like the half-time draws at the club. You know, they do, they, they organise events with players like the end of season awards and all that kind of good stuff. The Trust is about 20 odd years old now. It, it was essentially set up <laughs> like most trusts, basically, on the back of a, a very poor owner a number of you know, 20 odd years ago. And, and, and essentially, you know, a lot of the... the a group of fans didn't, you know, didn't think the the owner at the time was doing a great job, and 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 started boycotting um, the club and 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 games, etc. So they set the trust up at that point with the proviso of trying to get someone on the board, um, you know, and a number of other initiatives. So really, the, the official sports club is on pitch, and the trust more off pitch. So commercial stuff, you know, looking at, uh, you know, we, we're in the process of trying to purchase the stadium with the club because it's owned by the local council at the moment, um, which will be something we'll probably touch on a bit later but yeah we're, we're not we're not official as such whereas the official sports club is the official one but as i said we're, we're the kind of commercial um element that's um that's there made up of a number of different board members we're up to i think at the maximum we've had about 12 board members we're down a couple at the moment because one of our board members recently has now become the ceo of the football club i saw again, that i, I saw that i know yeah, we'll probably talk about it in a little while. So yeah. he was our vice chair, uh, Rob Angus. So we're looking for a new vice chair at the moment. So we are we are down a couple of members. But um, yeah, ultimately, all those people are are professionals um, and they all bring different skills with them. You know, we've got a lawyer, which has been very useful over the last seven or eight months, um, trying to make sense of some of the, some of the legal things. We've got um, a couple of IT professionals. 
Um, Rob Angus was um, was was a was a finance director at Nationwide Building Society. Obviously, before he became CEO of the club, got people that are very that run their own businesses, social media, digital agencies. So you know, a sprinkling of 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 kind of different skills, and all of them bring those different skills to to you know to the trust. Yeah, so that's that's kind of that's so, so that so that for you is the difference between the two, and, and it's quite a nice segue yeah. for me to go into. A brief, a brief Swindon Town potted history. You can you can check my uh, my research here, but a little bit just to, for the purpose of Oldham fans listening. So, so Swindon entered the, the football league in the nineteen twenties. You, you, I'd say you're primarily a third division club, a third tier club over the course of your history. But you've had a few uh, flirts with the higher leagues. You, you won you, in the nineteen sixties. You got into the second division. You won the league cup, beating Arsenal three one in, in the league cup final, which is must have been a hell of a thing to have seen for that Swindon fans of those days. And then in 82, you dropped into the fourth division for the first time in your history. So you were 60 years uh, in Division 3 or 2, dropped into Division 4. And it was Lou Macari that took you out on, on a journey back up to the second division, where actually uh, I remember playing, I remember Oldham playing Swindon a lot in the second division when I was a boy in the, in the 80s. And I remember that, that particular team. And then you had something terrible happen to you where I think Ozzy, so Lou Macari went to West Ham. Um, and we beat West Ham 6-0 when he was manager in a League Cup semi-final. And then uh, and then Ozzy Ardiles took over. You, you got to the division in 89-90, a season that we're familiar with. You got into the playoff final, but you didn't go up because of financial irregularities. I can't remember. Was it something to do with Macari or, or owners at the time? It was, it, was a... uh, it, was, it was the chairman at the time, ultimately, that actually ended up going to prison um, after a... Uh, a court case, yeah, they were effectively they were effectively paying players um, kind of bonuses and various other things, but not putting them through the books. So it was kind of I financial irregularities, basically. Yeah. And so and so you'd won promotion in that playoff final, but then didn't get promoted. But there was a you got relegated to begin with, and then promoted again. It was a very strange. Yeah, uh, got relegated two divisions, and then on appeal, we um, we ended up back in the uh, back in um, what was the first division then, obviously, but the championship as it would be now. Yeah. Yeah. And and then a couple of years later. Uh, 92-93 you, you won the playoff final again in Division 2 on the Glen Hoddle and took your seat in the Premier League in 93-94 we did indeed yeah well then we lost Hoddle to, to Chelsea Ken Bates on the door and he, he uh, even before we uh, we got to the, the first game of the season in the Premier League Hoddle left John Gorman was his, uh, was his assistant when we won promotion and he took over as manager great guy and obviously he was involved with England um, under Hoddle as well and was a, you know assistant manager at England level and various he kind of followed Hoddle around a few places. Yeah, we didn't have a great season in the Premier League, but it was certainly a good one. It was certainly a good experience. But um, well, it's it's funny because it, we were in the Premier League with you that year. So so um, so Swindon Town are the only team that I've seen my team play against live in all four divisions of uh, of. I've never there's no other team I've I've, uh, I've done that with the Swindon. That's what you so far then, doesn't it really? Yeah. <laughs> But I guess I guess what we'll come on to is, and more relevantly, is really since probably the year two thousand, you've had short of a couple of spells under people like Dennis Wise, Gus Poyet, Paolo Di Canio, and then Richie Wellens, who 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 joined you from us. You, you, it's been quite lean, hasn't it, since since two thousand for you guys? And you've been in Division Four about well the fourth tier a good four times during that period. So yeah. if, if if we may then get onto the meat of it, what? What precipitated such that that fall from grace? Because because obviously we've had the same, it almost mirrored the same issue. So what what precipitated that fall from grace, sort of from around two thousand? Because if you if you're saying your trust was set up about twenty years ago, these things are aligned, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They absolutely are. And I, th- I think it's like a lot of lower league clubs, lower division clubs, really. You know, you um, we had a high level of debt. 
owners that were owning us um, either got to a point where they couldn't they couldn't carry on funding uh, the, the losses uh, and therefore trying to jump ship, sold the club. You know that we went through a number of different owners. And who, who was the know, owner when the trust set up? Oh, crikey. Um, it would have been Sir Seaton Wills. But although he was the owner at the time, um, it was being run. The club was largely being run by a by another by another party kind of on his behalf who shall we say the fans didn't like and didn't particularly feel he was doing a great job yeah yeah and you know so Seaton end, ended up selling the club and like I said then we you know and largely wrote off all of the debt um in the early in the early stages which meant that you know people could kind of take the club on probably really didn't have the backing you know the, the the ability to kind of fund the club you know so we went through a number of different owners we had you know, we had some very odd organisations from abroad and, and various, you know, I think at one point, Karen Brady's father, you know, obviously Karen Brady at West Ham, her yeah, father yeah. Um, was was involved with us and trying to buy us. Um, that didn't quite happen. Yeah, we, 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 you know, we've gone, we've kind of gone from owner to owner. After Sir Seaton Wills left, who was there a long time and had funded the club and was a very rich man, but he was you know, getting old, getting older and older. And I think his family decided really it's probably enough. They put enough money into the club yeah. over probably a good 10, 10 year period. You know, we, as I said, we kind of ended up selling the club then to people that really, and, and chairman came in that really didn't have the funds or the stability. Um, so we went through a couple of those kind of situations. And over time, you know, we, we got to a point where the debt just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we were probably in debt to the tune of <clears throat> kind of about 10 million, I think, um, after a number of short term owners. And then really, I, I guess um, you mentioned the kind of Paolo Di Canio era. You know, we, 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 we got into a good situation, really, whereby we had Andrew Black bought us. Ultimately, Andrew Black was one of the co-founders of Betfair. Uh, was yeah, yeah, Betfair, uh, one of the betting companies, you know, big into his horses. So he backed us, but ultimately with um, Andrew Fitton as chairman, who was another businessman. And, you know, that was a relatively stable, uh, stable period. Um, you know, Andrew Black was extremely wealthy and paid off a lot of the debts. And, you know, under Paolo Di Canio, he bankrolled Paolo Di Canio, you know, and, and our budget was large. Paolo was being paid a lot of money, you know, yada, yada, yada. I think, um, you know, it was a good period. We won the League Two title. But then I think really from that point onwards, really, Paolo, um, when we got promoted, you know, ultimately he <laughs> he didn't really walk. He was very demanding. Uh, you've probably seen you know, some yeah. of the, the clips of him, obviously similar situation at Sunderland. But he, um, he was very demanding, didn't really, uh, Andrew Black didn't really want to commit long term to Swindon. You know, he'd done, he, he felt he'd done his bit. And, and I think Paolo kept on pushing him, pushing him for budget. You know, he didn't really want to do that. So he effectively put the club up for sale and said, look, you know, I've paid off the debts, but I'm not prepared to kind of kind of go any further. Forego on, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of exclude my, from from the debt, from any kind of debts or what have you. I'll, 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 there's a debent, there was a debenture there, basically, that, he, you know, he agreed um, that he would um, for a couple of million pounds that, you know, would just just be in place, but would only really ever have to be repaid if the club started making money ultimately and someone with a significantly big pockets came in and would, would pay it off. So it was kind of a it was a debenture, but it was never really going to be paid, to be perfectly honest, based okay. on the criteria. So at that point, this is again, we went through uh, a period where, you know, so then Paolo left because he toy- threw his toys out of the pram, you know, he broke into the club in the middle of the night and took all of his all his belongings um, <laughs> and disappeared. Um, <laughs> so that was quite that was quite amusing, really. And then we, we got to another owner um, who, who came in. And this was kind of like the, the start of the Lee Power era, really, because 
although Jeff McCrory was the chairman then um, at that point, you know, he, he he purchased us. But 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 ultimately, it was Lee Power that was was pulling the strings and the, was providing the finance behind the scenes. And, and Jed was really kind of just the chairman and the, the, the person, you know, fronting up. So, so what year was this? When, when did Lee Power? Uh, this would have been, well, Lee Power had been the club eight, eight years. So, you know, it would have been, it would have been kind of, t- yeah, 12, 13, probably. Okay. Um, and so initially we had Jed as chairman and Lee Power bankroll in the club. So, you know, Jeb was there for about a year, but then him and Power fell out, um, as tends to happen with Lee Power. He tends to fall out with most people after a time. And effectively, there was a court case at that point whereby uh, Lee Power took him took Jed to court and because they, they couldn't agree over various things and financial bits and pieces. And then in the end, um, the court ruled in Lee Power's favour and said that, you know, the club was Lee Power's and, and, and Jed really hadn't put much money in or anything at all so ultimately um jed got pushed out and lee power took over then as as, as chairman yeah and that was kind of the the, the lee power area then so you know we so, so really... would it, what were the feelings of swindon fans towards lee power in 2013 14 were they, were well, they, was he seen as a good man was it was were they you know yeah because ultimately um when andrew black sold us uh, or decided that he was no longer going to fund the club you know it was looking very um very iffy at that point you know the club We'd already been in administration a couple of times and it was looking like the club could go to the wall effectively because there wasn't a great deal of interest in a, you know, in, in the club from. And I think the good thing about Andrew Black was he did say that he wasn't just going to sell it to anyone. You know, he he brought in um, a consultant ultimately to find an owner for us. And there weren't many people that were willing to to kind of take us on. So well, I think here's it, a question. When when did the county ground cease to be your asset? Is, is that any journalist? It's never been our asset. We've always rented it from the local council. Really? Forever? Yeah, we've never owned the actual ground ourselves. The, the local council have always owned the county ground. We've always paid rent. So, yeah, it's never been an asset of the club. So, yeah, we've never owned it as such. We just rent it from the council. Okay. Um, yeah, so so ultimately then, you know, to answer your question, most people, 90% of people were very pro Lee Power. You know, he saved the club, could have gone to the wall, you know, and, you know, he, he, you know, he started rebuilding the club and... Um, his words, I'm putting my own money into it, I'm going to rebuild the club, etc. Was, was, was he a wealthy man, Lee Power? He, he always came in and said that he, he basically told the fans, um, uh, judge me after five or six years. That was always his message. He said, I'm not going to be here forever. Judge me in five or six years. Uh, he's very open. He said, I'm a businessman. I am ultimately here to make money. He was very open, I guess, really, at the early stages. But no one could really quite work out how wealthy he was. He owned a publishing company, uh, Cree. Uh, who had provided programs, printed programs and produced programs for football clubs. Yes. But I think were one and, you know, mostly Premier League, but some lower league clubs as well. That had gone into liquidation, owing an awful lot of money to, to a lot of clubs. And that was really the only business we could see he'd been involved in. You know, yes, he had, he'd, 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 um, He'd been involved trying to buy Luton Town at one point, I think, with a consortium. He'd been involved with Cambridge at some point, flirted as a director with them. Swindon was really his first club that he actually managed to purchase outright and, you know, ultimately was the, the kind of sole person that owned it. But so, yeah, the fans, you know, very much, you know, Lee Powers, saviour the football club. Um, and, you know, and things look quite good to start off with because, you know, um, OK, we had a couple of dodgy managers to start off with, like Morris Malpass um, from Scotland that that really was was pretty awful. So I think, you know, Power made a few mistakes on 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 choosing managers early on. But the good thing with Power is ex-football player, play for Norwich, you know, he had a lot of connections in the game, one of which was Tim Sherwood, who was a good friend of his. 
Um, so ultimately, Tim Sherber was, um, I think, either youth coach or um, obviously then he became manager of Spurs uh, eventually. But we had a really good relationship with Spurs in the early days. We used to get a lot of their young players and several of those kind of young players. We either had them on loan. We had people like Alex Pritchard. We had Massimo Luongo. We had a number of really good Spurs players. Uh, Burn as well. That's at Derby now. Yeah. So lots of good players. Those players were coming in. You know, they were doing well for us on loan we purchased a couple of them and, and ultimately then you know over the period sold them on for big money you know Massimo Luongo and Ben Gladwin went to QPR for what was allegedly a I think three and a half or four million fee and we we don't we paid like a couple of hundred thousand I think for Massimo so you know we, we were bringing in money effectively from a relationship so, so on on face value Lee, Lee Power's doing a good job he was doing a good job yeah absolutely and you know we were doing okay on the pitch after a few early mistakes from the management front so, you know, those sort of things were going well. We had Mark Cooper at the club. He was with us for quite a while. He nearly got us into the championship. We were in the playoff final at Wembley. Um, we've got a terrible record at the new Wembley. Uh, every time we've been there, we've lost so far. So we, didn't you win every time you went to the old one, though? Yes, we did. We had a really yeah. good record once, but we really wish I hadn't knocked it down. But um, <laughs> but no, ultimately, we got to the um, the Johnson's Pate Trophy final under, under him and lost. So, so when, when when did it start to turn then, James? If if because because yeah. you're painting a rosy picture at the minute. Yeah, no, it all sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Probably um, once his connections at Spurs. So once Tim Sherwood left. I mean, Tim Sherwood after he left Spurs, and obviously looking for another job. And I think he went to Villa, didn't he, for a bit, and then then he got the sack there. But then after that, he ended up becoming our, ran, our randomly our director of football for a period. I think um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, but then but then basically, I think he had job offers or. Or media things and you know you couldn't do both so he left anyway so yeah once once we no longer were getting so many star players from Premier League clubs obviously that income started dropping because we weren't selling players and the players that we had we did have were, were people we were having to buy so rather than getting players that we could turn from maybe 100k or 200k purchase price into millions and sell on you know we, we were getting players we were having to pay for players the going rate but they weren't really necessarily players that we could sell on for millions you know I think the only player and after the relationship with Spurs kind of ended would we, we bought Nicky Ajozi and he did really really well for us up front and scored a hatful of goals and we sold him um, I think to Charlton for about seven or eight hundred thousand but then every club he's gone to since Sweden he's not done very well at. Was so, there any indication that, that that he was up to no good with money though? Um, there were rumours let's put it that way there were rumours you know there were rumours that he had been a um, a player's representative before he had become chairman of Swindon. There were rumours that there were there were there were some slightly iffy things going on, shall we say? Um, so when he was acting as an agent for for players, yeah, there was rumours that he was still acting as a kind of an agent. There was there were rumours that uh, you know other things were going on as well. Yeah, and 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 you know generally his credibility as a chairman kind of started diminishing because um, we we started not doing quite so well on the pitch. Some of the things that were some of the investments that he'd made in various things to try and help the football club, the budget started getting cut every week, every year on pitch and off pitch. So the stadium started getting a little bit in, in more disrepair than it had been before. Whereas he'd been investing in things like the pitch and you know maintaining the stadium, that that started dropping off. We could just see visually on the pitch and off the pitch. The, the budgets were just being cut here, there and everywhere. And, yeah. you know, like, like I said, there were there were lots of rumours about, there were some very weird non-executive directors that started turning up at Swindon and some very interesting looking people were turning up in the director's box that 
some people that were doing their due diligence on those people ended up finding out they were kind of cockney criminals basically you know well-known people in london that um weren't the kind of people you want to upset shall we say so um there there was rumors about that you know we found out that certain businesses had their 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 legal entity address at company's house at the county ground when we never heard of some of these companies so there were lots of weird and wonderful things going on and there were rumors about him power using the club basically to to fund his own lifestyle essentially you know there was lots of rumors about you know he's into horse racing in a big way Lee power he's got his own his own horses and whatever else and you know it was it was deemed and again these were only rumors but it was deemed that the football some of the football club money was being used to ultimately pay for his horses and pay for his stable fees and jockeys and all sorts and the thing was because he was a sole owner there was no one there really to to kind of challenge you. So we, we, were you, was the trust then suspicious? You know, yes. at, at, at what stage was the trust? That you, you haven't got any share in Swindon, have it, in the football club? Uh, no, we haven't. We've, um, we've always wanted to be in a situation um, and we've always set ourselves up that we, you know, our overall aim was always to get a, a fan on the board, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we tried under Lee Power to try and to, you know, when, when the relationship, because uh, the relationship soured massively in the last year and a half of Lee Power, yeah. the trust, but we can come on to that in a sec. But yeah, ultimately, before that, we had a you know we had an okay. He never really liked the trust because I think he felt that we, you know, the fact that we wanted a um, a voice on the board and a trust member to be on the board, we're happy to invest, we're happy to do a crowdfund, you know, and, and buy some shares and support the club in that kind of way. But he always he always said the right things when he was in media communications. But actually, when it comes to the crux of it, and we actually put proposals to them. We never got a response. When anyone tried to investigate him or pull him to to task on some of the strange things that were going on, they always got loads of grief, shall we say? You know, the local media. There was a there was a, a reporter at the Swindon Evening Advertiser at the time called Sam Morshead, who's um, who went to the Mail after and, and now runs the Cricketer. Yeah, um, I've online. come across him before. Um, yeah, he's a he's a really nice guy. I know him really well. He was actually a trust board member at one point. Uh, but ultimately, he was uh, an old school um, sports journalist that did all of his due diligence, you know, looked into a lot of things, did lots of research and found, found out quite a lot of unsavoury things, shall we say, about the club. And, and, and therefore then got banned from the county ground covering the games for the Swindon Advertiser because Lee Power ultimately didn't want him reporting on you know, some of the, shall we say, the less, you know, some of the dodgy things maybe that were going on at the club. And, yeah. you know, it was proper investigative journalism and, and he didn't like that. And so he banned him. Several times, actually. And also, I understand he he rang him up at one point. And again, I don't know the, the details of it. I can only go on what I've heard from one side, but it was very specific that um, he needed to mind his own business, pretty much, you know, but probably a lot nastier way than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so there was a lot of unpleasant things going on. But anyway, yeah. And, you know, I think over time then, it's just progressively got worse and worse and worse season on season. You know, we started seeing things like, the accounts that were, were that were that were sent to company's house every year, you know, they were either late or they only ever did the basic accounts that you had to. So, but even so, there were a lot of things in there that didn't make sense. Some of the some of the things that were in the balance sheet just looked really odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen some some interesting instances of that in the last year, really, where you know Mr. Powers paying himself like several hundred thousand pound a year as a players consultant when he's the chairman you know, the club are paying him to be a consultant. Um, very strange. Okay. Very, very odd. Very odd things. Um, but anyway. Um, well, I, I recall it. Was, was, there, was there a point in time now where Gareth Barry seemed to be involved somehow with your club? Or there was, there was, a, there was, a, yes. was there some sort of dispute over who owned what for a while? 
Yeah, so that, that's still ongoing at the moment, really. So what, what, what then happened is, if we if we take one step back, actually, Lee Powell's obviously looking for potential other investors in the club because, you know, like I mentioned, there wasn't the income coming in from players being sold on and, you know, the outgoings were going up. So he looked for... Uh, he looked for some external, uh, some extra help on 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 the on the kind of capital front. So he got introduced to to a chap, an Australian businessman, about six years ago called Clem Morfuni, who is now our chairman, and is now yeah. purchased. So um, and then Clem initially sponsored the club shirt, back of the shirt, did a few other initiatives, and then over a period of time, uh, him and Lee Power agreed that effectively um, Clem would take a fifteen percent stake in the club, which he, he paid about one point one million for. So. That's that, that's that's quite a lot of money for only fifteen percent of a club that doesn't own any land. <laughs> exactly. So ultimately, um, and Clem's real remit was Clem was the opposite to Lee Powell. Lee Powell's a very secretive man, didn't communicate, stated he didn't use social media, you know, everything was a black box at Swindon. There was the communication was poor, you know, from the CEO through all the club. Lee Powell never really the only person Lee Powell ever talked to was was the local Wiltshire radio station but he only did it when things were going well when things were going poorly he never turned up for the fans phone-ins and things that they'd had before but anyway so Clem Morfini came on board and I think to do two things one was to obviously give to put some money into the club which he did so as well as the 1.1 million uh, and sponsoring the back of the shirt he also paid for other things I believe you know some players some extra extra kind of scouts and things to help us try and find players so there was lots of initiatives and things that he was paying for so you know that was a, that was that was that was a benefit, and then him and Lee Power fell out effectively because Clem had found out that his investment hadn't been he hadn't got a share certificate and it hadn't been legally represented at company's house. So effectively, he paid money into the club, but there was nothing to prove that he owned fifteen yeah. percent. So that was you know so he pushed Mr. Power for obviously to put that right company's house share certificate. Lee Power refused. They fell out. And then Clem took him to court effectively to get his 15% shareholding, which he now, which obviously he got yeah. through going to court. But, but then you're right, the complicated thing was then about about a year and a half ago, there then appeared an article in, in one, I think it was on the Sunday newspapers, and we got tipped off about it at the, at the trust. And it was essentially who actually owns Swindon Town Football Club. That was the kind of the headline. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it was front page as well as back page news at the time. And it was essentially someone had done some investigating and effectively found out that Gareth Barry, via his agent, Michael Standing, essentially most of the money had come from Gareth Barry. Really? So apparently, and we, we know this from court proceedings because we, we, we were involved and we also saw the court notes. Effectively what happened is um, Lee Power went to Gareth Barry's house with Michael Standing there and they had a gentleman's agreement that Lee Power would be the chairman. He would put some of his own money in, but most of the money would come from, well... Again, it's a bit sketchy, but it, it, Michael Standing essentially was the front person for it. But it's alleged that Gareth Barry provided most of that capital. And it was about a million, just under a million pounds, ultimately. So, and it was a gentleman's agreement, no paperwork, yada, yada, yada. But none of those people were named as directors. It was just Lee Power. He was a sole owner, sole director of the football club. So this all came out then. So who owns Swindon Town Football Club? And what the reason why it came out was because... In the gentleman's agreement, essentially, what had happened was Michael Standing had said, okay, we'll invest, I'll invest this 800000 to a million pounds. He basically said, right, okay, I'm willing to do this, effectively with allegedly Gareth Barrow's money. And our gentleman's agreement is you will be the chairman uh, and essentially um, any profits we make from the sale of players that we purchase and then we sell on or any sell-on fees, we'll split 
So this was the gentleman's agreement they had. The problem was we were selling players um, <laughs> with, and we were selling players. Um, Lee Powell was putting sell-on clauses of between 20 and some of them were 40%, we believe, on some of these players. They were then being sold on. And a good example was, uh, was Massimo Luongo. You know, he got sold on a couple of times for, you know, uh, seven-figure sums. There was always uh, Matt Ritchie. Uh, he yeah. was at Swindon. Uh, we sold him to Bournemouth. I uh, can't remember the fee, but there was a sell-on clause. And then when he got sold to Newcastle for several million, uh, of, that, of that transfer fee, we were effectively owed. Uh, we were, the sell-on fee was 1.75 million. Did you get it? Lee Power did. But no one knew that there was a sell-on fee other okay. than him. And Michael Standing didn't know that there was a sell-on fee. Right, I see. So ultimately, the 1.75 million came into the club or to Lee Power. Lee Power didn't tell Michael Standing because Michael Standing should have had half of that, 1.75 million. And it was the same for the other players as well, like Mass Mass Luongo, Gladwin, and various other players. Did did any of of that money make it into Swindon Town's budget? No. Just Just went straight to Lee Power? Essentially, yeah. That, that's what was alleged and that was what was found in the, in the kind of court hearing and all that money which again we don't really know what the figure was but it, if you if you add up if you add it up in your head you know there, there was probably about seven or eight million pounds worth of sales and then some of those players were then sold on after so if you take 20 percent of what you know it could have been quite a significant sum of money well, i mean we know he got 1.75 million from as a sell-on for richie you know, and there were other players as well. So it, it, it runs into several, you know, quite Incredible. a few. But Michael Stanley knew nothing about this because it was all hush-hush. And therefore what happened was, obviously Mr. Standing found out <laughs> through some through some means that essentially he was being taken for a bit of a ride. And therefore he took out, um, uh, he then took Lee Power to court and said, essentially we had this agreement, you know, you've, you've, you've not... You owe, you owe me all this money. You owe me, you know, I think he, I think he asked us like five or six million that he said he was owed. That was money that he put up front for the football club to purchase, plus all the money. That, and and so, is, is that, has that been paid? Is that, has that been cleared or is it, is it still outstanding? Is it? It is. And there's a court case, the final court case for standing versus power, which is the, the court case, occurs in the first week of September. So literally just over a month's time. Oh, wow. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see what comes of that. So that's the, final, uh, that's, the, that's the final hearing. So ultimately, both of them, Michael Standing, Michael Standing's company, your name I forget, the, 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 the kind of player agency company, Premier, I think it might be called, or something like that. But anyway, Michael Standing, his company, which he's no longer a director of now, he's resigned in the last six months, um, and Lee Power have all been charged by the FA, with a number of accounts, you know, yeah. not, not not stating money where it comes from, having yeah. a, 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 um, a player's agent effectively you know, being part of a club, all this kind of stuff. And there's lots of different lots of different elements there. The final court case, first week of September, they've already been charged. Um, you know, the outcome will be ultimately what does uh, what does Lee Power owe Michael Standing? Yeah, that's that, that, it's, un- it's unbelievable. I, I mean. W- w- <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Our owner is a former agent, and I was never comfortable with the idea of it because it's just—it's a murky, horrible world, isn't it? Um, it, it and and, it, and listening to this story just 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 as incredible as as, men, as many others we've heard. So, you, if we move this onto the timeline, you guys are now really suspicious. You've 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 come across information as, as a trust. You you you're, you've said your communication with Lee Power has failed. 
you know, if, if we just wind this to the point where, so Richie Wellens is in charge. Richie Wellens has been fired by our owner, the, uh, the one that we've got at the minute. He turns up at your place and uh, and plays brilliant football with you, with Owen Doyle, who he had at our place on loan as well, uh, yes. and gets you promoted. What happens at Swindon then? Is Are you still fell out? Are, do, you know, Presumably your relationship with Lee Power is as strained as, as it has become. Has everyone else forgiven him? <laughs> um, it's a bit of a roller coaster with Lee Power, you know. I mean, I think, you know, when you get when, when you win the championships, even though we won it by the, the points per game or whatever approach, you know, we, it doesn't really matter. We won it. We still we were still League Two champions. You know, we were playing great football. As you said, we had Doyle and um, Yates up front and they were they were knocking the goals in. You know, we had a really, really great team. So when we learned the League Two title, it, everything was rosy. You know, we were our away support was immense, you know, the home attendances were 10, 12,000, you know, which our, our max attendance is probably the ground can hold about 13 or 14,000 with restrictions. So, you know, we were packing the county ground. So that was great. Then things ramped up a gear, if you like, once we were in League One, there were lots of rumours that, you know, we tried to, we tried to keep um, Doyle, we tried to sign, we only had, we had Dick Yates on loan from Rotherham. So we tried to, we tried to purchase him, but he ended up going to Blackpool. Um, obviously he's done very well for Blackpool and they've gone up the season but that was all down to money we couldn't afford to keep him Owen Doyle was a slightly different situation in the sense that he, his family were Liverpool based I believe and you know obviously he was looking for a club up north because travelling down to Swindon uh, all the time he had a young family he, he wanted to find a club up north obviously went to Bolton uh, has done well there Anthony Grant um, you know was he was another superstar for us we managed to just about keep but a lot of the players that had basically got us to League One they all disappeared because we just couldn't afford to, to you know, I don't think they were looking for much more than what they were being paying in League Two. But we, for whatever reason, our budget just didn't, we, we always thought, we looked at it and we thought, hang on a minute, we've just gone up a division. You know, we'll get more TV money. There'll be more, you know, more incentives. The crowd, you know, put the price up on the ground. Yet actually we're cutting our budget from what was yeah. our budget in League Two. It just didn't really add up. And I think that was largely down to the fact that, that the agreement that he had with Standing and with Clermont Fooney was... They were both essentially, they, they essentially both had an interest in the club. You know, Clem had his 15% standing allegedly, you know, had put in quite a large percentage. And the, the agreement they had was, as well as any profits for player sales being given to standing, um, standing would also put some money in regularly, operational revenue to keep the fund funding going. And Clem Orfini would put in 15% uh, monthly of uh, of the operational costs because he had a 15 stake stake. But when they, when Stanley fell out with power and when Clem fell out of power, they stopped putting that money in. Right. So, so, so then, you... so the operational budget. <laughs> yes. So that's why all of a sudden our budget went from being Marks and Spencer's to being like a 99 P pound shop. You know, our budget was less in league one than it was in league two. And to be honest, the team, I mean, we had, we had two goalkeepers last season and both of them were on loan. You know who has two lone goalkeepers? I mean, it's just oh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we've done that at least three or four times. In the, in the <laughs> we never, I would have. <laughs> we, you know, we had we had about eight players that were on loan last season. We had we, it, it was just put the club was put together on a shoestring. We we could see lots of issues, but because the funding wasn't coming in from the other two individuals I mentioned, Power was having to front up the money. There were then rumours that he brought someone else in to, to help fund the club. We had a player. We had a player that was playing for, that we'd signed. There, there was rumours that his father had come in as a silent investor. This player had been given a, a three-year contract when effectively he had no record of playing football at all, <laughs> other than in non-league. Uh, he was a centre-back. 
Yeah, ultimately. <laughs> did, did he did he catch your first team? Every game he was on the bench and then he did get into the first team and he was being put into the first team as a centre-back over some established professional people and all the players it transpired knew what was going on, that effectively money was coming in from his father uh, to pay wages and various other things and on the obviously on the obvious alleged agreement that his son was on the bench we gave him a three-year contract for goodness sake and he's so, so he's, it, it was was john sheridan here was john sheridan putting up with this by the way um, I, I know i know you i know you guys are not fond of john sheridan but he's a bit of a hero at our place <laughs> i mean he was but this this was under richie wellens that this started oh it was um, richie wellens that started yeah right yeah. yeah yeah i mean you know yeah ultimately it's uh yeah, it, it all kind of started occurring kind of under 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 Wellens. Obviously, Wellens then left because he could see the writing on the wall. He yeah. knew that he obviously knew that power had fallen out with the two with Clement and with Standing, and that his budget was going to be a lot less. He was getting frustrated in pre-season when we were in, when we we've been promoted, and basically came out saying, you know, put these players lists. We're not none of them. I'm getting. We've not signed any of the players from last season. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not competing. We're going to, we're going to do, we're not going to be very good. And, and I'm just getting frustrated. They weren't sending, signing players. All these loan players were coming in and they were really poor quality. So Wellen started the season as manager, but after a few games, there was rumours then that um, he wasn't happy. Him and Power had had a bit of a falling out over budgets. He, he basically kept on coming out in the press saying, I don't feel I'm being supported by the chairman. And he'd never done that before. Um, it was always the opposite. So at that point, Wellen's obviously, there was rumours about him going to, um, uh, so we, 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 th- these are obviously red flags for the trust. So, so presumably... Yeah, yeah. Our manager wasn't happy. The budget was a lot less. We had a player <laughs> player for us that was really a Sunday league player that, that shouldn't have been anywhere near the team. The harmony in the team, you could see that they were getting, players were getting annoyed by this player being played or put on the bench every week when yeah. other professional players that, were, that should have been in the team weren't and weren't even, weren't even the squad. So, what, so what, do, what, what were you doing about it as a trust at this point? Yeah, so... We were we were doing a number of things really. One was we were we were trying to well, there was a stadium purchase that we were trying to to work with to purchase a stadium as a trust. So what so, and why did why do you want to do that if you've never owned it? Because the county ground is very dilapidated. Yeah. Um, the council are not really investing in it, and it's getting worse. Yeah. The football club can't afford to to keep, kind of keep you up keep and actually Lee Powers like well we don't own it so why should I be putting loads of money in it the council should yeah. be but the, you know it was getting worse and worse and worse to the point where really it was become, it probably going to become illegal at one point you know the, the, there were lots of issues you know things were falling off the roof the wind was blowing stuff off and it just wasn't being maintained so originally we were going to buy the ground 100% the trust um, and we were you know we had we had funding kind of lined up to, to do that we, we negotiated how, how, how what was that where did that funding come from broadly yeah, it, yeah, that, that... yeah so there was um there was an ex-swindon fan that was very wealthy called nigel Eady. uh he he passed on uh, passed away unfortunately um and he set up a trust and in his will he'd left it that some of his will could be used for the good of the football club because he was a massive fan but it wasn't allowed to go directly to the club okay it had to go via he didn't trust lp so therefore, he wanted it to go to the trust for the good of the club. So, so effectively, we had him, you know, potentially lined up to kind of support some of that purchase. We were also going to do a crowdfunding yeah. uh, with all of our fans. Um, so we'd come to an agreement on that. And the money then, it was about 2.2 million that the, the council wanted to purchase the county ground. So we, we, we were going to do that. Um, so so let's, let, me see, let me just touch on that point. 2.2 million quid, what does that buy you? The, the, the footprint of the county ground and the four stands? 
Yeah, pretty much um, the county ground, the, the, all of the stands, the pitch, and essentially the kind of perimeter. You know, there's some fields and, and um, uh, a car park and various other things, really. So. Yeah, any, any opportunities to redevelop that? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been to the county ground a few times. It's yeah, quite I mean, open space around it, isn't there? There, there is. I mean, there's a cricket pitch as well, which is kind of opposite, which um, there was talk that potentially that could be used as well as land to, to redevelop. The, the whole idea, really, I think, behind the redevelopment, you know, they looked at kind of moving away from the county ground and nearer the M4 um, a couple of times, but they couldn't ever find the right piece of land or or what have you. But yeah, the idea was we were just going to essentially upgrade the county ground. You know, it was going to we were going to knock things down and replace stands, replace roofs, you know, just invest significantly in what was there, really, just make it better. What, um, what, what I find fascinating about it is, is that your patch of land down south is valued at 2.2 million quid. And the owner of our land in the north wants six million quid for ours. <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd have to look at the sizing. I know, obviously, I haven't been to to, to Oldham for a, for a few years. I have actually been to to, to the ground, but uh, from what I remember, it's quite a decent sized ground, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I would say it's a similar size to to, to your place. We, it's probably about thirteen thousand uh, oh, okay. capacity, so it's not it's, it's not much bigger. I think I think we would get we'd get a car park alongside it. The the the, the issue for us is um, we have a new stand on there, and I think that the uh, landlord wants money back for that stand build. But uh, but 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 aside from that, it's just for comparison purposes. Anyway, we digress because we're here to talk about yeah, you guys. So. Obviously, um, you know, so that was that negotiation the council was going on. But then ultimately, Lee Powell found out. He'd always said he didn't want to buy the county ground from the council. But because he found out the trust were interested in buying it, he obviously didn't want us to get to get it. We, we wanted to get the county ground to make sure that it was in private, you know, it was in the trust's hands for the fans, ultimately, and yeah. that we could invest in it on a regular basis to improve it you know, make it a good environment for fans. That was the whole idea behind it. It needed lots of work and we needed to invest heavily in it. Lee Power found out and then wasn't overly happy. So the council, to keep the, to keep the kind of, um, I guess the local, the locals happy and to keep um, Lee Power happy, essentially said, okay, well, actually, maybe we can do a 50-50 then. So the trust purchases 50 and the football club purchases 50%. Okay. Um, so you're joint owners. So that's essentially what got agreed. We were literally we had a joint agreement that we'd come up with, and that was really the only time that Lee Power ever worked with us, <laughs> because you know in the fifty fifty thing for for purchasing the ground, and then literally we were we were due to sign with the council after all the political um, sorry after all of the legal stuff had been done. And it took six seven months to get it to get it through all the legal process and various different rewrites of the joint agreement and what have you. The agreement was that it was going to be in the name of the football club, not Lee Power. So it was basically almost owner agnostic in terms of their 50%. Yeah. Um, whereas it was the other 50% was with the trust and obviously the fans that were trust members. So we, we got that far. And literally two weeks before we were due to sign, COVID kicked in. So that slowed things down. And then the whole stuff in the press came out about Lee Power and the ownership with Gareth Barry and Michael Standing. The council said, well, we can't sell the 50% to Lee Power because we don't actually know whether he owns the football club or not. Yeah, yeah. What standing is. So they basically said, we're going to have to put it on hold until the court case is, is going to be completed. Which obviously is, is it still on hold now? It's still on hold now because COVID's obviously delayed it. The, the court case has been, you know, the, the legal stuff around ownership has been going on since February uh, 2020. So what's that, 14, 15 months now? Yeah, yeah. Um, numerous court cases 
Um, but as I said, the final court case really to decide the owner piece is September the 4th or 5th, I believe, the court case is. Well, so then if, if, if we just wind, wind forward now to, to almost the present day, so you so obviously you have, a, you have a pretty terrible time in League One. He, he, power brings Sheridan in, that doesn't work. You end up getting relegated. And then I, I think I recall seeing, did you guys as your trust call for a boycott of the county yes. ground? Yeah, so once all the stuff about Lee Power had come out and, and you know, um, he came out in February then this, this year and basically said, we hadn't heard from him for months in the press. Um, he came out in February and basically said, I've got a buyer for the football club, a company called Able Communications. They're based in Boston in the US. I want to sell the football club to them. And they've, they've said they'll pay off the debts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He basically said in the press and on the radio, if I don't sell the, com- the, the football club to them, Beyond the end of February, I can't carry on funding it and it'll have to go into administration ultimately. So it was almost administration or or sell to this company called Abel, who no one had ever heard of. So at that point, Clemore Morfuni was like, okay, hang on a minute. I own 15%. I've now got that ratified, that 15% on company's house. There's in the agreement with regards to the company that 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 uh, 15% owns the football club is uh, an element that says if Lee Power ever decides that he wants to sell the football club or sell his shares, uh, he has to give Claire Morfini first refusal. But Lee Power was trying to boycott, but by, sorry, bypass that and sell it to a company that he wanted to sell it to, which was Able. Obviously, he'd fallen out with Clem. They weren't friends. Were, were, were you guys as a trust? Were you, uh, so your, your, your communication with powers ceased to exist in any Oh, yeah. He, did, he, he basically told us um, after we backed. Because uh, one thing we haven't recovered really is the fact that, you know, when all this stuff came out about Lee Power. And, I was about and, to yeah. ask you were, were you, were you talking to Clem? Were you friends with Clem? Yes. Yes. So our, 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 several of our board members had got to know Clem really well over the last six years that, you know, they, they, they'd been to matches together and spoken, et cetera, et cetera. So we came out because we knew nothing about ABLE Communications. Um, we were very worried about it. Uh, we couldn't find any information on them. They hadn't come out and told us anything about themselves. Lee Power didn't seem to know much about them, even though he was selling the club for them. Ultimately, and because he tried to bypass the, the pre-exemption rights, which is the process that he has to, where he has to sell to Clem or offer to Clem first before going to a third party, he tried to bypass that. We were very, it almost reached the peak really of being completely like, what's going on here? What is this man trying to do? It sounds all very dodgy. At that point, basically, we we said, we put, we put an open letter um, out in the press to, to Lee Power uh, and any any potential new owners. So in other words, Ken Morfuni and Abel, tell us what you're going to do. What's your strategy for Swinnertown Football Club going forward? So the only response we had was from Clem. Yeah. Uh, so Lee Power didn't send us anything, nor did Abel, no communication at all. Clem basically did a strategic plan for the next five years. This is my this is my plan for the football club. And it was effectively very, it wasn't, you know, you know even when you get some of these new potential owners, they sell you the dream. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do we're going to get to the Premier League. Clems was just super sensible and all the right things, you know, sustainability, invest in the academy, get the right people into the club running it, you know, try and make the club as um, near to, to kind of not, not making a loss every season. It, it was just sensible, reasonable, sensible plan. So we got behind Clem completely as a trust. Um, we carried on kind of pushing for Lee Power and Able to come forward with their plan. They didn't. So we basically, in the press, put our full weight as a trust behind Clem Morfini as the potential new owner, Swinnertown Football Club. Lee Power didn't like that because it wasn't him, although he hadn't come out and given us his plan or his thoughts or what have you. 
So he excommunicated us from the club completely and basically said, I'm not talking to the trust any, anymore. As far as I'm concerned, we even got to a point probably where he would have banned us from games had we not, um, you know, obviously COVID was occurring at the time. But it, it, it got so bad that, you know, there was a significantly strained relationship. So um, he continued to try and push for Abel. But then obviously Clem took him to court and said, look, you can't do that. You've got to try and you've got to offer it to me first uh, before you can sell to, to Abel. So we basically said, and, and Clem was like, uh, sorry, um, Lee Power was like, no, no, I'm not selling to Clem. Don't like him. Don't trust him. I want to sell to Abel. So at that point, we said, well, this is just ridiculous. So we basically got a, um, a kind of social media campaign on our website. We were on, we, we did quite a lot of podcasts. We did a lot of stuff with the, uh, with the official supporters club. And we basically put, um, you know, hashtag together, you know, um, and the kind of social media um, element, basically, you know, telling the, the the fans really that we we were behind behind Clem and didn't we weren't behind Lee Power at all. It was kind of you know fan power, not Lee Power, uh, was yeah. our was our hashtag. Um, you know, we didn't want the fans to kind of invest any more money in the football club because ultimately we knew where that money was going and it wasn't going into the football club. It was effectively, you know, allegedly kind of. Um, bankrolling his lifestyle essentially and, and and you yourself personally got yourself on the bbc yeah, uh, talk sport talk sport i think you, you you literally you've been everywhere as a trust you've been everywhere promoting that cause yes absolutely and we basically said to fans look we're gonna we want to boycott we know it's really really hard but ultimately there's only one way that we can ultimately forcefully power to sell the club to clem Mofini and not able or, or you know or not put, not put it into administration and that is sell to clem Mofini. So of, how did how did you force that that so he, he's got Clem's got first refusal, yes. You you, so then, you, you you went through the courts, yeah. So Clem took him to court basically because yeah. he's got a free exemption right. Said you know you need to sell to me first. So there was a court number of court cases which we were you know we provided evidence for and references yeah. for Clem Mulfini. We also did loads of due diligence on Clem Mulfini and published all of that in the press so people the fans could see that you know. He was a very successful businessman. Um, so I, I've, I've done I've done my own bit of due diligence just to check just to see. And I, um, so you you very your trust does. Uh, you've got a YouTube channel I've noticed right. where you push out content under Trust Matters uh, periodically. And I watched. There's a 20 minute uh, interview with Clem uh, that you guys did earlier this year, which obviously was targeted to your fan base. But it was interesting. He's a he's a he's a he's an Australian native with a, with Italian heritage. Uh, right. He loves football. He's got a series of businesses throughout Europe and and uh, and the Oceania region. Uh, so he's independently wealthy and successful. And yeah, I listened to his interview and he, he did mention the Premier League once in there. I did get a raised eyebrow from me, but he did seem reasonably um, reasonably sensible, you know, articulate man. And so I can see why you would get behind him. So so then you you go through the courts and you know he's literally you know when we're doing this interview with you today, he's only within the last week isn't it that, that the courts have ruled in in his favor yeah absolutely so that that was a kind of quite a, a stressful period because lee power was saying you know i'm not putting any more money into the club throughout this court case you know even his argument was um if it's gonna if it if the courts are gonna potentially find in favor of clem morfuni why should i be putting money into the football club so and it's come out throughout the whole court case that um since february 2020 we've not paid the council the rent for the county ground so right. 50 the rent unpaid we haven't paid the inland revenue for 15 months. We owe them over a million pounds. Only of a lot of our um, uh, a lot of our local suppliers, we effectively haven't paid. The only people we've been paying really are the players and the, and the wages of the staff, um, In, including Mr. Power. Including Mr. Power is his um, consultancy fee. Yeah, exactly. 
so yeah you're quite right it's all gone through the court case and and and, and ultimately you know all of the the, the debt has been uh, you know the, the judge wanted to see what the debt situation was you know lee powers had, had said he couldn't fund the club beyond february but actually he did continue to fund it then in one of the court cases said oh actually i can fund the club no problems at all so it completely changed the story basically because he didn't want to sell to clem it, it was all very very murky but in the end what essentially happened was the the judge I think saw through him. He didn't. He asked for lots of evidence from from Lee Power in terms of projections and details on 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 the financial stuff and account, uh, you know, bank accounts and stuff. And none of that information ended up when we, we you know we we listened in on the teams calls to the court cases and we provided kind of a, like a running commentary. Not at the time because you can't do that legally, but afterwards yeah. of the court cases. So we we translated it for fans to tell them what was going on and. Literally, he had provided no evidence whatsoever. So the, the, the judge got quite annoyed with him and his, his legal counsel. And in the end, ultimately what happened is he said, um, you've got a, you've basically got to sell that club to Lee Power. Um, sorry, to, to Clem Orfini. I know nothing about Abel. You, you know, your pre-exemption right says you've got to sell it to, 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 to Clem. He already owns 15%. You guys go away and, and work on that nicely um, in the background, you know, and, and do it through your own through your own kind of process. And if we come back to court in, uh, you know, three or four weeks time and you haven't done it, I can I can effectively force it through as a, as, as, as a, you know, as a, uh, a judge and, and push the and actually force them to. to how you, just out of interest, what, what's interesting is that how can the courts force somebody to sell an asset if they don't want to sell it? Uh, basically, because they've not provided evidence that they can actually that they can actually fund the club. They were basically saying that the judge and uh, Clem Orfini side were basically saying that the, the club was uh, insolvent. Really, insolvent essentially yeah. yeah and lee power provided no evidence that he could fund it or actually become make it you know and, and bring it back from the brink so the judge said look you're not providing any evidence clem Morfini has he's clem had put in four or five million into a uk bank account um for for, for funds he'd given um he even during a period of the court cases he'd given the football club three hundred thousand as operating capital to try and keep the club ticking along because lee yeah. power wasn't putting money in so at least people could be paid you know, and Clement said, look, you know, I've got evidence to prove that I've got another 12 or 13 million in another bank account that if we need more than four or five million, we can do that. So we can, you know, we can we can use that essentially. So really, Clem had done everything by the book, given all the all the documentation to prove that he could fund the club and take it on board. He he did he had to go through the obviously EFL process to get um sanctions as a as a as a a club owner rather than just a minority shareholder, which he which he did. Lee Powell provided no evidence. So the basic judge just saw through it and said, look, you guys, you know, you need to sell it to to to, to Clem. So in the, so in the end, I think Lee Powell just kind of saw saw the fact that his time was up and the judge had got his number, really, I think. And so 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 that so that sale was ratified last week, right? Clem Morfini now is majority shareholder of Swindon Town. Yeah, but that's only literally happened in the, like you said in the last week and a half. The thing yeah. that held it up was Clem had already got um fit and proper EFL sanction but 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 for as a minority shareholder apparently yeah. there's two levels um when you're a minority shareholder obviously 15 percent he had to just prove that he wasn't a, a effectively you know a bankrupt or a crook or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah it's very it's, it's minimal and then ultimately when you become a major shareholder or an owner of a football club you have to do an enhanced yeah. property so what held us up was clem had the money ready to go Lee Powers was like, yeah, I know I've got to give him the shares. I don't want to, but I've got to give him it to him. But before that ha- that could happen, EFR to ratify yeah. the claim was fit and proper for the full ownership. That took about four weeks. Yeah, um, the EFL are terrible, aren't they? It, it took absolute age. Even though he'd already been ratified as a 15% shareholder, it just seemed to take an absolute age. And, you know, our lawyer 
was was talking to the FL on a regular basis, as were as were our trust some of our trust board, and they were just giving nothing away, and it was just like, yeah, we're still going, we're still going. It was really the, the real irritating thing for me with this is is some of the owners that they've let through that are absolutely terrible, and yes. and and you and they're taking four weeks to rat it. You know, you're like, well, it's not really worth the paper it's written on because some of the people that have got through this process are, are, are just not fit to wash my car, let alone own a football exactly. club. Exactly. But the problem is, in the whole period that the EFL were doing their their, their fit and proper, uh, basically, power wasn't paying any um, any of the bills still. But yeah. the, it got even worse that in May, from May onwards this year, he wasn't paying the players or the backroom staff. So they went without their wages in May uh, and June. So, you, so your, your manager at this point was John McGreal, as a former Tranmere player. And, and so basically, you, you just lost them all, didn't you? You lost you, yeah. your. your, your... He, he thought, Lee Powered basically brought him in because he needed a manager, you know. Yeah. Uh, so he brought him in um, and, so, and told him that effectively he was going to win the court case, really, with Clem. Um, and wasn't going to be selling the club, or he was going to be selling it to Abel. You can like you can line your players up, and as soon as I win the court case or Abel get control, effectively then you can you can go ahead and purchase these players that you want to get. So they were there, they were knocking about, you know, they were there for about a month. John McGreal, he had seven first team players that were on the books because the rest had basically been their contracts had ended or or we'd released them last season, and he apparently lined up five or six players to to sign initially, but. You know, every week that kept on going with a court case and what have you, he got more and more frustrated. And he basically, on a Friday, just put a statement on the website saying, my, my, my job's just not, I can't do it. I can't do my job. It's yeah. tenable. So he walked with the assistant manager. On the same day, the chief executive, Steve Anderson, resigned on the same day. So he basically lost my manager, uh, assistant manager, and our CEO on one Friday. So... Right. Crazy, and then and then you've and you've only got seven players signed. I mean, seven what, players. what what happens now? So you've got so Clem's taken over. You, you I mean, fingers crossed for you guys that he turns out to be the owner that, that he's built to be. Hopefully, he is. Well, and, he's, already, he's already proven in, in a week and a half of um, effective open communications, transparency. You know, we've obviously bought a manager in. We bought several coaches in. Now we've got a director of football. We've got a couple of players. We've started to sign. Um, we've made some offers to, to some um, players that we we had to let go last season because our offers for them were so paltry. Um, so you know, a couple of players, those players are considering improved offers. We we had issues with the we were still we were basically the whole fact we didn't pay the players and we didn't play. Is, is, I was going to say, is Clem picking up all these bills that are old? Yes. So like we were, HMRC we were, bill, rent. Uh, yeah, of, yeah. We, we were basically an embargo because we didn't because we'd and also I forgot to mention as well. And back in May or sorry March. Uh, power had taken a, um, um, an EFL loan of a million well, we, Believe it or not, we, we are, you, you, us, and Scunthorpe are the only three clubs in League Two that have taken a loan. Yes. So we took a loan, we believed it was 800,000, but apparently it's nearer a million from the EFL, which wow. was the pay players' wages. And obviously it had been used in kind of maybe March and April to pay to pay backroom staff and players' wages. But then he, he stopped paying the wages then after that. But because that hasn't been paid back, that loan, but you're effect- well, you'll know. <laughs> you essentially yeah. you're, you're restricted on what you can do in the transfer. That's right. Market. You can you're only allowed a certain amount of players. You can only sign them on limited contracts or loans. Yeah, so sign them on one year contracts with, yeah. on, on twelve hundred pound a week yeah. um, maximum wage. You can only so, sign a certain number of loan players. So your your hands are real, really really tied. And obviously because we were in that situation, we were under embargo for about three or four different reasons. So the first thing that um, and I should say as well when when Clem took over. Um, he put he uh, appointed Rob as the CEO, the new CEO of the business. So, so, uh, so I noticed that. So, so he 
presumably Robin and uh, Clem have got to know each other through your work with trusting. So he's appointed. Yeah, yes. he's appointed a, tr- a trust director to the chief exec role of the club. Well, that's a good appointment for the fans, isn't it? Really, it absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. I mean, Rob's been a fan for, for years. Um, he's also a very successful businessman. You know, he's um, he was a he was one of the finance directors at Nationwide Builder Society in Swindon, which has got the HQ there. You know, he's got he's been he's been there for kind of twenty odd years. Very well respected. Um, a really nice guy, um, genuine nice guy, good communicator, really open and honest, and obviously you're a massive Swindon fan. Robert led our initiative to buy the county ground, so he'd been involved in all that. So you know, he was a perfect person really for them. So we weren't really surprised when he made that offer to to, to Rob. So Rob has now resigned, obviously, as you know, as a trust board member. Um, so we've got a vacancy there at the moment. Um, but ultimately, he's become the CEO, and he's working now with Clem basically to remove the um, embargo. So they have they've now settled all of the wages. So they paid the back dated wages that we owed to the to the players and to the backroom staff. They were paid July's salary in the last couple of days. So they've been paid this month. So that has removed one part of the embargo with the EFL. The other part is uh, the fact that we haven't paid HMRC and we haven't paid the council for 15 months. So we've now agreed, I believe, payment plans with both those two. I think Clem's guaranteed those ultimately with his, with his own wealth. Um, rather than via the football club. And we hope in the next day or two, Rob and Clem were on the local radio station last night, night doing a fan's phone-in on, on BBC Radio Wiltshire. They basically said, hopefully in the next two days, they're hoping the EFL will then, they, they would have provided all the documentation evidence required in order for them to release release us from the embargo completely. So that'd be great news. So we'll then be able to start, because apparently our manager's got loads of people signed, lined up. We've signed a few players, but... Um, you know, goalkeeper, uh, we brought Ben Gladwin back from, uh, he was at MA Dons last season. So he's come back, an ex-Swindon player. We've got we've got a goalkeeper, another goalkeeper, two goal, decent kind of first-team goalkeepers, a couple of other players, and there's loads of other lined up, apparently. So so, 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 you, so, so it's going to, presumably, you're going to have a bit of a rocky start, but if you, if yes. you can get a team going, you might be able to be competitive, if, you know, this yeah. side of Christmas. Exactly. I mean, you know, we know we're six, seven weeks behind all the other clubs. Yeah. You know, Clem has stated, and Rob and Clem have stated that their aim for this season is basically to stay up in League Two. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yes. you've, you've, with with the start you've had, that you know, that, I guess that has to be it. But you, you could do better if you get if you get rid of you. There's, I don't think there's any chance of our embargo being moved anytime soon. So you, you're probably in a financial better state than we are in the not to disabuse you. Yes. If I can, if I, I'm just conscious of time, and I don't want to keep you keep you too long, but I was just trying to think of other things to ask. So, you, so, so you're now free of all of this. Well, how did, when you look back now on on what do you think Lee Power's motives were uh, to make as much money from the football club as possible himself? So it, was, it was all personally motivated. Um, yeah, I mean to be fair to be fair to him, Andy, he said at the beginning, "I'm a businessman." Uh, okay, I'm an ex-footballer, but I'm a businessman. Um, you know, I, I, I don't I, I don't feel bad in saying that I, I ultimately want to make some money from this. You know, and he's used the club in a number of ways to do that. You know, one thing we haven't touched on um, is he bought a piece of, uh, he bought an ex-golf club uh, in in the Swindon area and um, wanted to turn it into a, a training ground for the club, which we all thought, brilliant. This, you know, we've never had our own training ground. We've always leased it from other, from the council or from other organisations. Yeah. We thought, you know, this really lovely training ground, lots of different pitches, all of the different levels of Swindon, you know, Swindon women, youngsters, the first team, all training at the right place, cutting edge stuff, you know. But then we found out actually that he wanted to build 
executive houses on it and the stables. And the only reason he was going to get the planning permission to do that is if he provided his training ground for the football club, because the council would look upon that as you know yeah. beneficial to, to the to Swindon. So, but ultimately he bought the training ground or the golf club in his own with his own money, but then he used the club to ultimately um, get the plan permission, and we ended the club ended up paying all of the fees for the plan permission, yeah, um, and and what have you, but. You know that that um, that training ground is nothing to do with Clemmorphine. He's not involved in it. It's 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 Lee Powers, so it won't become our training ground. I don't think we'll, we'll oh, look at other options. I can but, imagine. Is, but is, he, is, he was looking at the you know look, making loads of money through selling the houses and the yeah you know, stables and 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 obviously charging the the club rent. He's already said that he was you know for the for the training ground. Right. Yeah. It, it, it is. It is interesting, isn't it, when you, when you, you know, I guess you guys will do your due diligence on Clem and make sure that his motives are, you know, because he, he's, I, if, if, if he was a lifelong Swindon fan from Wiltshire, you, you'd probably just, just, just sort of accept that he, his motives would be true. But again, you know, another, another individual who's not connected to Swindon, your worry is what is his, what is his motives behind this? But, you know, I, I guess the very best of luck to him and you and, and I'm sure you've done your diligence on him and you feel comfortable. Um, yeah. I mean in terms of in terms of the in terms of the county ground purchase, is that still something that you guys and Clem are going to see through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean in, in the press conference when Clem took over, that was one of the questions obviously the press asked. And we, we already knew the answer because we'd spoken to the council and to Clem, you know, many times about this before he kind of took on the uh, took over the club. The council basically said, you know, if Clem takes over from Lee Power, then we can we can reignite the the whole joint agreement between the 50-50 between the club and um, and, the, and the trust and get the county ground purchased. So they've already had, literally he's only been there um, a week um, and he's already had a meeting with the council, Clem, um, about doing that. So that's going to be one of the things that will be re-kicked off. You know, all the paperwork's there. Our, our lawyer from, from the trust has, uh, has started going through the paperwork to see if there are elements that we need to change because of, you know, or adjust because of the new owner. We did, like I said, we tried to make it agnostic, owner agnostic, really. Yeah. So there should be minimal changes. But yeah, we're looking to push that through as, as soon as we can. Really, the council are really keen to push it through because obviously, you know, they they've got um, like most councils, then they they're not exactly flush with money. Pounds wouldn't go amiss, really, for them. So yeah, and 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 you know, and and it gives you that that great you and Clem that great base to work from. I've got Correct. I've got I've got one final question for you, which uh, if you don't mind my asking. So sure. you mentioned early on, and I had a look on your website, so you, you have had you know, 12 or 13 directors listed as part of your trust. And like yourself, like your good self, and, uh, and Rob and, and all the other people, I've, you look at everyone's CVs, they've got great professional backgrounds, which really is the reason why you're all in those positions. Our own trust doesn't have that many. Um, we have probably half that number, um, and we need to try to recruit people to our trust to make it as effective as, as yours appears to have been. So my question to you is, and I've asked this of every sort of trust representative from every club we've had on the podcast is what individuals, what type of individuals do you think it requires in a trust to make it effective? Yeah, great question. Um, we, we've really only got um, the, the, the right variety of individuals in our trust probably in the last 18 months, really. Ultimately, you need people that um, understand finances. So having a finance director of a large um, building society was very helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, you need someone that understands law. So again, we've only had our own trust lawyer in the last kind of year or so. And he's a local lawyer from, from a Swindon lawyers. So someone that can understand the, the ins and outs of the, of the legal sense. Because again, we all know, we all know lawyers try and 
blast you with with lawyer speak and a lot of it doesn't doesn't make sense and if you've got someone that can convert it from legal speak and, and understand these things and and what have you then that's that's a really big positive for us it's been really really important that we've got people that understand things like marketing and social media and um that we also took on someone that in our, in our board that ultimately had worked for Sky Sports and a number of um, press type um, elements. And he was able to write some really cracking press releases. And, and yeah. um, you know, we, we had a regular column in the local newspaper. All of those got really good engagement with the fans. But, you know, the whole social media campaign that we did, you know, because we've got people that run digital agencies and, and you know, um, social media people. That was really, really important that we could set that kind of stuff up. And really people just with business acumen, really, and really good ideas. And we've also got a blend of people on our board. I mean, the youngest is probably in their early 20s. Um, and we've got people then that are in their kind of late 60s. Yeah. So we've got a blend of experience, which we've not always had. So it's really great to have people with different backgrounds, but professional business backgrounds that cover off finance, um, media, IT, um, kind of the digital marketing and, and social elements. Key thing is, it's people that can, tend, that can spend the time. That's the thing. I was telling to you earlier, the amount of hours that we've racked up, I felt yeah. myself and my colleagues felt, you know, ultimately we had two jobs for about the last seven or eight months because it's been so intensive with regards to, it has felt like having a second job really. So it's, it's that kind of enthusiasm, you know, because to be honest, a lot of other things have had to, for us as board members over the last seven or eight months, you know, we've had to put a lot of other things on hold. It's all those things, really. You can't do half a job because it just won't, it won't, it really won't do. You need to go really kind of commit to it and, and really keep turning the screw, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, investigate, 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 you know, try and get as much information. But also the fact that we were able to kind of reach out and get so much presence on, you know, Sky Sports, um, talk radio, talk sport, you know, the local, the local press. You know, we, we had all those contacts within the trust all of those things are really important because it's like anything you, you get something rolling, just gathers momentum. And the fact we had someone at the club that everyone hated as a chairman so much, and we were, we were kind of pushing the fans to boycott. And, you know, our, our membership as a trust went up from 300 or so people to 1500, 1400 in, in a relatively short period of time. I, I, it's just brilliant. It's, a, it's another, it's another brilliant story. Um, and, and I'll be honest, James, I'm really envious. <laughs> and, uh, I, I feel like I um, I feel like I know a lot more about things that I never knew much about in terms of legal elements and financial stuff. Um, so it, it, it's been an interesting, very tough, but also an interesting journey for us. But I think ultimately the, the, the story is that we've, we've got our club back and that's yeah. the most important thing for us. The Boundary Park Alert System is produced and hosted by me, Matt Dean. Additional support and research is by Andy Halliwell and Steve Shipman. You can follow me on Twitter at MattDean78 and the show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at OAFC Podcast. Don't forget to download the Fan Hub app and listen to the show there or by visiting oafcpodcast.co.uk where you can support the work we do by visiting our online merch store, read our blog and get in touch. If you'd like more information about Push the Boundary, visit pushtheboundary.co.uk and if you'd like to know more about Oldham Athletic Supporters Foundation, please visit trustoldham.org. Remember, this is your club and you can have it all, but how much do you want it? Thanks for listening.